0: Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends, and thanks
1: for joining me today on A Word from the Word. Today is Part 6 in our series, Scrutinizing Scripture, Can We Believe Our Bible?, Last time in Part 5, that indestructible book, we paralleled scrutinizing scripture by scrutinizing the writings of Shakespeare and comparing manuscript or textual accuracy and how well that accuracy was preserved. We discovered that all of Shakespeare's 37 plays, written between 1564 and 1616, around now for only some 400 plus years, are far more uncertain and corrupt than any of the New Testament documents now some 2,000 years old and many originally only existing in manuscript form. Additionally, every one of Shakespeare's 37 plays evidence hundreds of readings still in dispute and readings that materially affect the meanings of the passages in which they occur. Yet, friends, the New Testament documents nearly 2,000 years old may be said to be so far settled by consent of scholars that any disputes to any of their readings must be related rather to the interpretation of words rather than to any doubts respecting the actual words themselves. So, today Part 6 is called Lost in Translation, Not... So far, we've learned that the Bible is unique in its moral influence on all of Western civilization, including establishing a basis for absolute truth. The Bible is unique in its continuity. In other words, from Genesis to Revelation, from the first book to the last. The Bible is unique in its circulation. According to the United Bible Society's distribution records, back as far as 1998, 584 million copies or portions of the Bible were distributed. The Bible is unique in its preservation. In other words, its survival through time and attacks by its enemies and detractors. Well, today, friends, I want us to see how the Bible is unique in its translation and why today's lesson is called Lost in Translation, not. You see, friends, sometimes we're just not aware of the Bible's uniqueness in this area, how it stands out as the book of books in terms of its translation history, which is actually quite exciting. Last time we talked about the distribution figures for printing and circulating the Bible, And these numbers are impressive, to say the least. The Bible certainly exceeds by millions, even billions, any single piece of literature. Well, equally impressive is the number of translations of the Bible when compared to standard printed works of literature just listen to some facts about book translation in general and Bible translation in particular. Having been involved in the mainstream corporate advertising and publishing industry for over 20 years, I find this particularly interesting. First, most books are never translated into another language. Second, among those that are, most are published in just two or three languages. And third, Few books see translations in the teens, that is, 13 or more translations. Yet, friends, the Bible statistics in this area are positively staggering the bible or portions of it have now been translated into more than 2200 languages according to information supplied by the united bible societies and this is several years ago which means the number is actually higher now And interestingly enough, friends, 2,200 languages represents only about one-third of the world's 6,500 known languages, which represent the primary vehicle for communication for well over 90% of the world's population. Worldwide, no other book in history has been translated Retranslated and paraphrased more than the Bible. In fact, the Bible was one of the first major books to be translated. Around 250 BC, the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, were translated into Greek, known as the Septuagint. This translation was undertaken for the benefit of the Greek speaking Jews living in Alexandria, the northern tip of Egypt near the Nile River. These Jews had been culturally Hellenized and had learned and been influenced by Greek culture and language over time so that their Hebrew had dropped off a bit. Additionally, both Old and New Testaments of the Bible have been rendered in languages that are without a written alphabet. The well-known and well-respected Wycliffe Bible Translators Group alone have over 6,000 people working with more than 850 different languages in some 50 countries to produce new or revised translations of the Bible. And of these 850 languages, over 450 are being translated for the first time. And if these translation rates continue, the Bible should become available to almost all language groups by the projected year 2022, just two years from now. This is according to the Summer Institute of Linguistics. Friends, just think of this. We may be less than a generation away from witnessing the world's first universally translated book. Now you see why the Bible may be nicknamed the Book of Books? I don't know about you, but that really excites me. You see, friends, from its inception, the Christian belief system has been a missionary belief system, a missionary faith, if you will. The earliest versions of the New Testament were prepared by missionaries, known originally as apostles or evangelists, to work at the propagation of the Christian faith among people groups whose native tongues were Syriac, Latin, or Coptic, in other words, Egyptian this same scriptural mandate has lived on and has fueled the passion for producing and reproducing and circulating the Bible documents, being the incentive for translating the Bible into as many language groups as possible. And I have no doubt, friends, that many of you listening to me today are already familiar with these scriptural mandates, such as jesus' words in matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, or Jesus' words in mark sixteen fifteen Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Or how about Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, in my opinion, we're living in the most unique time in history in terms of the tools that are available to share our faith with a generation that has been psychologically and socially conditioned by the scientific method and scientific thought. In fact, all the educational disciplines and fields of knowledge available to us, you know, science, history, archaeology, linguistics, etc., when examined honestly and forthrightly, without presuppositional biases, overwhelmingly testify to the accuracy of the Bible, or corroborate the Bible's truth claims. And these unique times call for us as Christ followers, to continue fanning into flame in the 21st century, the missionary zeal exhibited by the 1st century Christ followers. This zeal was aptly expressed by the Apostle Peter in his first letter in 1 Peter 3.15, which has become sort of the mantra for this series. In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, see to it, Jesus becomes and remains our master. Always be prepared to give an answer to every one who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I also appreciate what Peter says in his second letter regarding the teachings of his fellow apostle Paul. In 2 Peter three fourteen through 17 Peter says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him, in other words, Christ. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, since you already know this, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless people. This made me think back to a true story about a clergyman who was seated in a dining car on a train traveling along the Hudson River in the New York area. Sitting opposite him was an atheist who, upon noticing his clerical collar, began a conversation. I see you are a clergyman, said the atheist. Yes, replied the clergyman, I am a minister of the gospel. So the atheist continued, and I suppose you believe in the Bible. Well, the clergyman, conservative and orthodox in his theological understanding, responded, Sir, I certainly do believe the Bible to be the word of God. The atheist then remarked, But sir, aren't there things in the Bible you can't explain or understand? Yes, there are places in the Bible too hard for me to understand, the minister humbly replied. With an air of triumph, as though the atheist had cornered the preacher, he then proceeded with this question, Well, what do you do then? Unruffled, the minister went on eating his dinner, which just happened to be Hudson shad, a tasty fish, but noted for its bony structure. Looking up, he said, Sir, I do the same thing when eating this shad. When I come to the bones, I put them to the side of my plate and go on enjoying my meal. I leave the bones for some fool to choke on. (laughs) Mark Twain once said, It's not those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. An unbeliever once opened up and confessed to his friend, There is one thing that mars all the pleasures of my life. Really? his friend replied. What is that? He answered, I am afraid the Bible might be true. If I could know for certain that death is an eternal sleep, I would be happy. My joy would be complete. But here is the thorn that stings me, the sword that pierces my very soul. If the Bible is true, I am lost forever. Friends, I remember when I was working in the corporate world in New York City, and my supervisor once commented that he thought the Bible was a mere compilation of the writings of some prophets, and by that comment I knew he meant myths, you know, non-historical or embellished stories relegated to the dusty past with no relevance to life lived in the here and now. But as we're all hopefully seeing through this series, it's all about developing a greater appreciation for and understanding of this book of books. This book whose words on its pages are literally breathed out by the one true God of the universe. What we're able to hold in our hands, friends, is the most unique collection of writings in existence. Now, friends, I'd like to unpack a brief portion of scripture found in Peter's second letter, which has been unfortunately poorly interpreted and therefore has led to erroneous understanding of a related subject in the Bible. This is something that has not been lost in translation, but sadly lost in faulty reading and subsequently resulting in drawing a faulty conclusion. Friends, as the book of books, the Bible deserves our careful attention to respecting the way it presents material for us to grasp. There is much contextual material to aid us in this process. And shame on us if we do not take the time to utilize it in the interpretive process. So our text is 2 Peter 3, 3-13. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation but they deliberately forget that long ago by god's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear like a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare or burned up. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And speed, it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, friends, I can just hear you saying, you see, I told you, the Bible says that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is just like a day. And I can also just hear you reasoning to run to the defense, But this allows for us to interpret the creation days of Genesis as if they were thousands of years instead of normal solar days. This, of course, would be an attempt to satisfy or placate the arguments of our evolutionary science friends. But what we must realize here is that the Apostle Peter, known as the Apostle of Comfort and the Apostle of Encouragement, here becomes the Apostle of Warning and Admonition. His goal here is to warn Christ followers about false notions of the second coming of Christ and the future judgment. So the context of his words here become the consummation of the world order and not the creation of the world. Peter is unveiling for us God's end-time program, particularly in relation to the coming judgment. And, by the way, Peter is actually making a connection back to Psalm 90 verse 4, and not the Genesis account of creation. And the context of Psalm 90 verse 4 tells us, You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch of the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. So, Peter's words in 2 Peter, linked to Psalm 90, verse 4, help us to understand the difference between our view of time and God's view of time, particularly as it relates to his plan and program of salvation and future judgment. You see, friends, God stands above and outside time. We are creatures of time. But when we view time in light of eternity, a thousand years seems puny insignificant like a day my take on this is that peter's point here is that although it seems like a thousand years to the scoffers and they question whether god is really going to fulfill his plan and promises god will eventually do just that fulfill his promises After all, friends, God is not slack or slow in keeping his promises. Right now, God is exercising his patience so that more people may repent and come to a knowledge of his salvation and be saved. And by the way, I believe that tucked in here, in Peter's opening verses, the scoffers will say, Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. There is a subtle inference to what has come to be known as the modern theory of uniformitarianism by evolutionary scientists. Uniformitarianism proposes that changes in the Earth's crust during a geological history have resulted from the action of continuous and uniform processes. but the evidence for a worldwide flood and the upheaval in the oceans and heavens that resulted from have actually challenged the uniformity theory of how all the Earth's rocks and metals have been affected. This would then challenge some of the dating methods used to determine the age of the Earth. Well, friends, let's tie all these wonderful truths together with a common thread. As apologists of the Bible, we Christ followers owe it to ourselves to help clear away or remove obstacles to faith that many people erect. Our role in the process is to show people that faith in the God and the Christ of the Bible is an intelligent and reasonable faith. It's not what we've often been accused of having, mere wishful thinking or factless based faith. From its inception, the Christian belief system has always been a missionary faith, carried forth originally by apostles and evangelists in the first century. We Christ followers today are living in a most unique time in history in terms of the tools that are available to share our faith with a generation that has been psychologically and socially conditioned by the scientific method. All educational disciplines and fields of knowledge available to us when examined honestly and forthrightly without presuppositional biases overwhelmingly testify to the accuracy of the Bible or corroborate the Bible's truth claims. So, you see, friends, I believe the challenge for us is to become armed and dangerous in a good way. We should be motivated and excited to not only learn the Bible well, its contents, but learn as much as we can about the Bible's composition. And by that, I mean how our Bible came into existence, how our Bible came to be the book of books. What makes our Bible stand out in the smorgasbord of religious literature? Just what makes our Bible so unique and therefore worthy of consideration by any honest, intelligent person? So friends, let's not lose our place in this communication process. Let's truly be ready to give an answer, a well-reasoned defense, so that we can clear away the obstacles to faith that common people erect. Remember, the Bible is unique in its ability to stand up to its critics. There's no book in all of literature like the Bible. People have tried every conceivable method to destroy it, stamp it out of history altogether. The Babylonians tried and failed. The King Antiochus Epiphanes tried to destroy the Jewish religion and its sacred writings, but failed. The Roman Emperor Diocletian's edicts attempted to stamp out converts to Christ and their Bibles, but he failed to destroy the eternal Word of God. Each attempt to ban it, burn it, destroy it, or tear it to pieces has and will continue to fail. A person looking for truth should certainly consider a book that has these qualifications behind it. Amen? Amen! Well, friends, I can see we're nearing the end of today's program. Today's broadcast will close out with an email where you may write me. I'd love to hear your feedback on today's or any other program in this series. Remember, friends, the podcasts of A Word from the Word are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search under Local Program Podcasts. You can also access the podcasts at Spotify, and Apple. And please feel free to share these podcasts with family and friends or with people who need to learn these truths and facts about God's word, the Bible, truly the book of books. And if a word from the word has blessed you or illuminated something about God's word to you, please also consider becoming a support team member. Just ask me for the details. It's listeners like you that help keep this program on the air. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word
0: from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.